You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I've got a question for you. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? You can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. Thrive Market is stocked with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products and always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. They've got everything you need, whether your diet is paleo, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, plus personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, safe and non-toxic beauty products, organic baby food, kids' products, and much, much more. You click on a product and you'll see things like why you'll love it, price comparisons to retail, nutritional information, and more. You can shop knowing that you're getting the best ingredients, the most affordable prices, and that it's all safe for your family. Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off, and right now, they're giving you an extra $60 in free groceries plus free shipping. 60 bucks of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash Rome. You should do this right away. Thrivemarket.com slash Rome. He made the best. Everybody thought I tapped the wrong person. Yeah, that's true. But now what people don't understand, like, that's the guy who made the best. Everybody else can't really see that I didn't really do anything wrong. But try to kick somebody's ass. Who hit me? Welcome to the Jim Rome Podcast. This is episode 38, and my guest is the one and only Meadow World Peace. Now, there is not another dude on the planet like the man formerly known as Ron Artest. Raised in the Queensbridge Housing Projects in New York, Meta has lived an amazing life. 17 years in professional basketball, over 1,000 games on six different NBA teams, stints in China and Italy, an all-star game appearance, four all-defensive teams, a Defensive Player of the Year award, and a world championship with the LA Lakers. But Meta World Peace's career is best known for the brawl on November 19, 2004. The Maoist at the Palace cost him nearly an entire season and millions in salary and future endorsements, and it changed the course of his career. And now he's opening up about that and a whole lot more in his new book, No Maoist, My Life in Basketball, or How a Kid from Queensbridge Survived the Streets, the Brawls, and himself to become an NBA champion. So pot up, my conversation with Meta World Peace starts right after this word from my friends at Lumber Liquidators. I can't believe it. We're already coming up on the end of May. 2018 is flying right on by, and we all want to continue to elevate our game to that next level and make this year the best year ever. Listen, if you're a contractor or a builder or a remodeler, you want to check this out because elevating your game for the rest of this year just got a whole lot easier thanks to my buddies at Lumber Liquidators and their brand new LL Pro Plus program. Let me explain what this is. LL Pro Plus is Lumber Liquidators' new pro services team that you can call on for all your professional flooring needs. LL Pro Plus will help you crush it with professional pricing this year and dedicated support to get you what you need when you need it and that way all your projects are finished on time. 
LL Pro Plus also gives you the ultimate value and quality. And with LL Pro Plus, no job is too large, no job is too small. They can help you with anything. So put the flooring experts on your team right now. Visit your local Lumber Liquidator store or go to LumberLiquidators.com. Once again, LumberLiquidators.com. Let's keep making 2018 the best year ever with Lumber Liquidators. No voicemails last week, so here is the rare double batch. All you degenerates that live for this thing and nothing else are about to get a sonic dream of stupidity realized because I've got a lot of tape to clear and the only way to clear it is to roll it and then quickly delete it. So let's get this thing over with, shall we? And for all of you out there who are like me and hate this segment, believe me, there is an epic conversation with Meta World Peace on the other side. So let's just get there as quickly as we possibly can. First new message. I just listened to the Bruce Arians podcast, and every time I hear that guy talk, every time I just fall a little bit more in love with him. He's such an incredible person. And man, I just wish that dude could be my dad. Man, that would be fucking awesome. Message saved. Next message. Romy, what's up? This is David in Buffalo, man. Signed up to play in a U.S. Open qualifier today, and these assholes will not refund my money because we had a rain out today, and I have a job to go to tomorrow. The USGA sucks. They do not do anything to grow the game of golf. They are complete douchebags, and these people are absolutely ruthless. All I can say is the USGA can kiss my ass. I will never, and to quote Jeff in Richmond, I mean ever, play in a USGA event again. Rome, thanks for the time. I'm out. Message deleted. Next message. Jimmy, I wanted to congratulate you on the national... Radio Hall of Fame nomination. You know what? You're going to win. I checked out the other nominees. They're fucking dweebs. Good luck to you. Love you. I miss you. Bye. Message saved. Next message. Romy Rome. LB from the Burke. Hey, Hefty Sefty has nothing left in that 50-gallon tank other than a front butt. War Johnny Tapia. War Elk. Rex is a dog's name and doesn't represent the ABQ at all. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Rome. It's Dylan over here in Lubbock, Texas. I'm listening to your show right now about the cornhole thing, and you keep playing that lady saying get, and you said you never heard that before. Well, you know, get's kind of like uh, we say, you know, go on and get. Like uh, when Dr. Dave calls or leaves a voicemail or whatever, you can say, hey, Dr. Dave. Go on now, get. Go on now, get, Dr. Dave. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Jim, what's up? It's Dr. Dave. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, Rome, I know personal appearance smack is not show fodder, and I can appreciate that. But a question to you. If we call James Harden a beard, can't we call Arizona quarterback Mike Glennon the neck? Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jimmy. Uh, Steve here in San Dimas. Listen, just got done with uh, the Keon Dueling episode. I got to say, man, love to hear people talking positively about taking steps to help their mental health. Having been somebody who's worked with mental health for several years, it's just nice to see people out in the public, uh, celebrities, taking the time to speak out positively and talk about taking care of yourself. Love hearing the show. Message saved. Next message. Ward all coworkers using the office bathroom stall to growl out a tail while on the cell phone. 
Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Lenny here, and Casey Moe. Damn it, man. These, these fucking podcasts are just fantastic. It's fucking awesome, bro. Thank you so much for all you're doing for all those clones. Can't wait to hear more. Message saved. Next message. Yo, it's Lauren in Naples. Good, good smack. Good smack. I almost got fired today because of you. But, uh, good, good, good talk. Van smack all day. Message saved. Next message. Rome, quit letting this little bitch Jeff call in. He's a little crybaby bitch. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, don't worry, man. I'm overnighting three boxes of tissues to Jeff in San Antonio so he can ball his eyes out like a bitch for the royal wedding on Saturday. Message deleted. Next message. Rome, this is Jeff in San Antonio. I'm watching the royal wedding. thinking about my big day. It's just so beautiful. Me and my fiance, me wearing the Bulls 23 and her wearing the 45 and and Jordan in a in a wagon behind us in a in a Wizards Jordan jersey. Message deleted. Next message. I'm about to have a baby in July, moving into my first house in August, and getting married to my beautiful fiance in October. You don't see me calling your fucking show crying like a little baby back bitch. Seriously, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Message deleted. Next message. Romy. Stephen Crowtown here. Just caught word that Johnny Manziel signed a two-year contract with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, pretty excited for that, although it is a little ironic that a team sponsored by Tim Hortons would sign a player to a two-year contract. You're used to wear number two. Out. Message deleted. Next message. Tim, FBI Mike. Hey, man, hope you're having a great weekend. Hope you're catching them uh, Billboard Music Awards tonight. You know, it's the biggest night in music, they say. Especially because Kelly Clarkson's the host. Message deleted. Next message. Jim Rome, you're a babe. You are a babe. <laughs> message saved. Next message. Hey, what's up, Rome? This is Jed in Illinois. Did you see that freak Wayne Newton last night cranking up that siren? Holy shit. That guy looks like a freaking mannequin with... Message deleted. Next message. This is George in Las Vegas. Go Knights. We were one of the original four. All right, let's go Knights. Message saved. Next message. Hey, Rolvis John. That Goggins podcast inspired me, man. I'm thinking of getting into shape. Can I just run across that Kelly dude's forehead like once or twice? Message deleted. You have no more messages. Damn, that is an extended cut. And damn, my man Jeff in San Antonio is still wearing it. What did this dude ever do to get murdered other than to wear his heart on a sleeve and father an amazing daughter? However, I'm sure that he does appreciate the three boxes of tissues that you sent to him before the royal wedding last weekend. As for the rest of you, or at least some of you, thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the support with the National Radio Hall of Fame. Voting does open up on June 4th. Check the box for Van Smack and tell your friends to do the same. And thank you for listening to the growing library that is the Jim Rome Podcast. 38 episodes strong, and I'm glad that people are still finding old apps like the one with David Goggins. Hey, you want some homework? 
go dig into another old ep and listen to it back once again. As an example, I pulled up episode five with Warriors GM Bob Myers and my man Butta. Kevin Frazier, just the other day, I'm telling you, it holds up. They all hold up. Hey, Jed, in Illinois, yes, I saw Wayne Newton cranking that siren. FBI Mike, Kelly Clarkson, hosting the Billboard Music Awards is not a thing. David in Buffalo, I'm disappointed your work commitment got in the way of you making your run at Shinnecock. And no, LB, I did not notice Hefty Lefty's, quote, front butt. Lauren in Naples, do not lose your job because of my show and my podcast. Job first, jungle second. Now, before I get to my conversation with Meta World Peace, let me get at you about 3M posted extremes. Now, truth be told, I work in a pretty controlled environment, but I know that's not the case for everybody. As an example, if you work on a hot, dusty job site or maybe in a loud, wet kitchen, you know how hard it can be to communicate clearly. And that's what work is all about. You have to be able to communicate with those around you. How do you do that? You do it with new Post-it Extreme Notes. With new Post-it Extreme Notes, you can get your message across and get the job done in any weather condition. I'm talking rain, heat, humidity, anything. Because new Post-it Extreme Notes are water-resistant. And they're made with Dura-Hold paper and adhesive, so they will stick to pretty much anything at all. Concrete drywall, raw wood, even brick. So no matter what the task on the job site, get your message across and communicate clearly with new Post-it Extreme Notes. Post-it Extreme Notes. Buy them today wherever you get your Post-it Notes. Once again, Post-it Extreme Notes. Get them wherever you get your Post-it Notes. Now, in all my years of doing this, if I'm not mistaken, I have never once cracked open a mic and had a conversation with Meta World Peace. Not until now, which is good because Meta is a different dude. And different is good. Different in the sense that he was a mental health advocate long before anyone in the sports world was prepared to talk about this. Athletes only now are starting to do it. Meta began that conversation nearly a decade ago. I was pumped to finally get the chance to run him down. Much better late than never. And I know it's a conversation that you're all going to dig. never had a chance to speak, but you know, it was all good. We both had good, really good careers. Dude, I, you know, I'm going to agree with you. I think we both had really good careers. I'll take you one step further. Matt, I think you and I are both largely understood. So we're largely understood, and we both had really good careers, and you've got a book, and I don't. So let me start right there. Your book is called No Malice, My Life in Basketball. You know, the truth is, when you played, you were actually pretty private throughout most of your career. So when somebody came to you and said, hey, how about a book? Why don't you write a book? What was your reaction? You know, when somebody, when, well, first when somebody came to me and said, let's write a book, my first reaction was just go to Google and Yahoo and put together a book. You know, um, I just didn't feel like anything was interesting because, I mean, I can only talk about the brawl so much. You know, I can only, uh, you know, talk about a basket or defense so much. Like, what else am I going to say? And apparently... You know, a lot of people was in my situation and they do books and people like it. So when I did the book and I got the reactions, I'm like, I'm like, wow, you know, people really, really like the book. And I actually um, wanted to wait to read it because I wanted to enjoy it. So I actually read the book. I'm like, oh, wow, it's everything how I wanted it to be. I was a little nervous and I wanted the book to be more like a story where you read it and you can kind of like, you know, be in the story. And uh, I didn't want anything to be censored and 
it was actually not, there wasn't enough curse words in the book for me. I was hoping there was going to be more uncensored, but, but it, it's really good, though. Man, I love that. There's so many things I like about that answer. I love that you said, hey, why don't you just go to Google and Yahoo and maybe slap my name on it and stroke me a nice fat check and we'll be good to go, right? Well, that, that would always be good. But I was, I was more talking like, you know, for the fans or anybody who really wants a Metal World Peace book, just Google and you'll find out everything about me. But when I, when I read the book, I'm like, okay, yeah, you, you really can't Google it because it's all about me, one story, and I'm basically talking about it. it it's a really good experience, actually. I, I'm really happy I did it. I wasn't as happy about it to start. No, and I would imagine also when you're right in the middle of that thing and you're grinding it out, you're probably wondering, all right, like, are we getting anywhere? When's this thing going to be done? And then you read the finished product and it feels great. I do love the take, though, that there weren't enough curse words in it. I mean, it is your book. You can say and do what you want. Or or if you feel like you didn't get your fair share, you can just use them right here. That's the thing I found out about this podcast. I can't do it during my day job, but we can say whatever the fuck we want here. It's awesome. It's liberating. You should do it. No, you know, I mean... I, it was certain times where I'm like, I just wanted it to be highlighted a little more, you know. And but when I spoke to Ryan Dempsey and Triumph, um, Triumph Books Publishing, I told them I said I would love for this book to be like uncensored, just raw. Because when people know me for being raw and they know my career, like there's nothing to hide. I can't, I can't be saying, uh, I can't be in a book like, okay, I had a great career, things were great. And uh, I'm so excited about the next chapter in my life. Like, I want to just keep it 100% real. And I think they did, they did do that for me. That's exactly it. You got to be 100% real. That's what people want. I mean, they know you or they want to know you and they want to, more know, want to know more about you. And you want to be consistent with your brand and who you are. You know, I love that take also that when you sat down, and I think I know where you're going with this, because somebody approached me about a book recently, and I said, look, man, I'm not that, I'm not that interesting. I don't think that I've got enough in me to write a book. And the response was, trust me, they want to know everything. Just start writing, and it'll be interesting. And your response was, look, I can't talk about that brawl all the time. It kind of reminds me of my whole thing with Jim Everett. I can't talk about that thing every single day. There are other things. As an example, you grew up in New York's Queensbridge Project. Queensbridge Project. What was Queensbridge like? What was that area like? And what was it like to grow up there? Um, well, Queensbridge was, um, it was tough at times. It was the hood. It was right in New York. So as you can see, Long Island City is prime real estate, but it wasn't prime real estate when I was there. Even if it was prime real estate, actually it was prime real estate, but inside my community, it was kind of, um, it was just so negative, you know, it was so much going on with the the violence and the drugs and stuff. And that just kills communities, man. It kills families. And, uh, you know, every day is like people just struggling, no ideas, no innovation. And you really don't even have the, um, the mental uh, endurance to have any innovation. You know, and that was the biggest problem I saw. You know, the the technology, everybody's uh, progressing with technology, but not in our communities, you know. And you're always so far behind. And uh, that was the thing that kind of struck me when I kind of almost retired. I'm not retired yet. But the biggest thing was, okay, I made money, and and now my career's over. You know, my chapter's almost over. It's like, what do I want to do next? I had to go back to school. There's a lot of things I didn't learn that I needed to catch up on. And it's all innovation. So there's so many things that affect those type of communities. You know, you just said, I retired. No, wait a minute. I'm not retired yet. So you never <laughs> officially retired, right? 
Yeah, I didn't officially retire yet. <laughs> How come? Are you waiting on another phone call or what? Why did you not officially retire? No, I'm not, I'm not waiting on a phone call. To, I mean, I'm definitely good enough to play. I'm, I'm not in shape right now because I don't have nothing to be in shape for. But when I, when I was playing this year, I was like, well, I had 18 points in the second half, you know, my, my last game. And, you know, so I'm like, I, I don't think I should retire on someone else's clock. You know, I'll, I'll announce my retirement when I'm good and damn ready. <laughs> hey, man, every athlete wants to go out on their own terms. So I know what you're saying. Your book is called yeah. No Malice, My Life in Basketball. So, Matty, you grew up in Queensbridge in the project, and it's a violent area. There's lots of drugs in the area. You were one of ten kids. You know, your parents were together, and then they separated. Your father had a job, and then he didn't. I mean, you could have really fallen prone or prey to any of these things did you get caught up in the wrong stuff or how were you able to steer clear of it and end up in a division one basketball program uh, yeah yeah i mean a lot of support you know you know how you get that person who's not a good influence but they tell you don't get in trouble i had a lot of people like that and i'm not going to say they wasn't good influences because a lot of the people that wasn't good influences they was once a child like i was when i was 13 they was once 13, you know, or, or when I was eight years old and I seen them doing some bad things, they was once eight years old. Uh, and how were they when they were that age? And so, you know, I, I think a lot of the stuff came from people wishing they would not have been in a the situation they were in, like wishing I wasn't in jail or wishing, you know, I wasn't like selling drugs or wishing I didn't like shoot this person or whatever. And then they give you that knowledge and it comes from a good place. And sometimes you can take it with you and you can say, okay, this guy told me to do the right thing, and I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah, I mean, you get that information, and it depends what you do with it. Let me ask you this. Did people like that take an interest in you because you were different? I mean, were you separated because you were talented and you could play ball? Or did people just take an interest in you as a person? You, you said what? Did, did people, yeah. when they were giving you that advice, yeah. were, were, I mean, did the neighborhood in any way protect you because you were talented and different and could play ball? Or oh. no? I think that was it, man, because I, I was really good, I, and, I, and I worked really hard, and I think people like that. Anytime I went on the court and I played with the men, I was all in, you know, and I, I got my respect early. I was starting to play with the grown men at, a, at an early age, and I was, and I was very and – and I was holding my own, you know, um, and, and they just respected it, and people wanted to see me do well. I was a good dude. I always said hi to everyone. My dad was very – my dad was respectful. You know, my mom, they, they demanded respect. And I got along pretty much with a lot of people in the neighborhood with the exception of, you know, a few people I probably didn't know. They didn't know me. You know, we had, we had some issues. But, but not, not, nothing crazy, you know. Uh, and uh, people just liked me in the neighborhood. I was always into the neighborhood. I was always into, like, trying to see people change and seeing see the good in people. And that's how my parents raised me. You know, Matty, you tell that amazing story about one of those local runs where a guy that you knew – actually got killed in a pickup game with a table leg. I've always wanted to ask you, and I've got no reason to believe that's not true, but is that an urban legend, or did that really go down like that? Yeah, it was a guy named Lloyd Newton. played for Long Island City High School. This happened in 93, 92 or 93. We were, oh, maybe in 91. Um, so I wasn't there for the event, but it's a, it was just like looking up to like Michael Jordan or looking up to some really good basketball player in your neighborhood. And, you know, Lloyd Newton was making a lot of buzz, a lot of noise. And we got the word that he passed away. They had a big fight. And then we found out what really happened. It was, it was really crazy, man. 
you know, just know that could happen. And and sometimes, you know, the basketball games we played, it was it was kind of weird. You know, those basketball games that we played, and sometimes you you'll do anything to play a basketball game. You know, like you'll go like the Far Rockaway Queens back in the nineties. You know, or or Gershwin Park in Brooklyn, or Hamels, and it's like places like I hope nothing goes down. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, man, man, oh man, it's not. A, sometimes it wasn't safe to play basketball, but. It is what it is. No, dude, I mean, like, when you when you were young and you were playing with, like, grown-ass men, I mean, what was that like? Were these guys always testing you? Did you play angry? Did you have to kind of front? I mean, how did you handle yourself in those games? Um, sometimes, I remember one time I was playing with my buddy, Stefan Barnes. Stefan Barnes is um, from Far Rockaway. Now he uh, works for a hedge fund. But he's from the streets. And um, I remember we had a game... And, and we was in Hamels, and we got chased out of the park. We was playing well. We was, you know, the team was talking trash. We was talking trash. We won the game. We was only 12 years old, man. It was only one way out the park, and we had to do it. Like, literally, we had to do about two or two to three circles just dodging. Cause I, I didn't know where the hits was coming from. They smashed my man's head at the, at the free throw line with a bottle. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and we was young kids, but it was normal. You know what I'm saying? It was normal, and... And I wasn't even next to Queensbridge. I was, I was, I was away for, um, you know, for 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 uh, the grad. I was away for summertime. At my grandma's house in Far Rockaway. You know, Far Rockaway is like the New Orleans in New York City. You know, it's like really no way out. Um, but now I heard they're building it up. So you know, I went from Queensbridge to Far Rockaway. So my summers didn't get that much better, <laughs> huh. uh, with the exception of I didn't know Far Rockaway was a bad place. Far Rockaway is next to the beach. So you assume you're going like to a beach, but you straight in the streets. Edgemere, the 40s, 71, 15, Hamels, you know, and, and, that, and that's where we play ball at, you know. And sometimes we just hope, like, we don't get into a fight in somebody else's neighborhood because, it, because the thing was you was going to play against good competition. That's all I cared about was, like, who's there. I don't care, like, where I'm going, you know what I'm saying? And that was the mindset. Meta. He's got a brand new book. It's called No Malice, My Life in Basketball. I mean, Meta, these are amazing stories. So when you get to college and you're playing Division One ball, I mean, you know that old saying, right? You can take the dude out of the streets, but you can't really take the street out of the dude. You're balling at St. John's. I mean, you're at LaSalle, but you end up at St. John's. I mean, had your mentality changed? Or when you hit the floor at St. John's, did you still have that, man, I'm still in the streets mentality. This is how I came up. Man, I always had the street mentality. Oh, man. And, yeah, you know, it's like it, I, I was living a couple of lifestyles, man, you know, a couple things, a couple, couple different lifestyles. And, uh, you know, back in the days, people would call me thug, and that's kind, it's kind of like calling somebody gay. It's kind of like a slur. Because, yeah, like, you know, you call somebody gay and they're gay. Yeah, they're gay. Well, if you got a problem with it, <laughs> you know, or, or, or you, call, you, know, you call me a thug, yeah, yeah, you got a problem with it. Because uh, I didn't want to be like this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But under certain circumstances, you know, if I go to a, a corporate, if I was to go to a corporate room meeting back in those days, how I was dressing with my friends and we was going, let's just say a uh, company's about to invest in the new Google, I would not be welcome in those type of areas because, you know, I was not classy, man. I didn't have no ethics, no values, no morals. <laughs> you understand? It's like you live and you survive and, uh, you know, you just do whatever you can do for yourself in that moment, man, you know? And and when you sit back and you get old and you think about it, it's like, you know, what can you do in this life 
to enjoy it. And a lot of people don't have that time to think. At least I had time to think, you know? A lot of people don't have that time. No, man, I mean, it's amazing. When you put it that way, and you're right, that, that term thug, I mean, it's got racism written all over it, right? Thug? It's, yeah, I, I would, I would have a real problem with that. I'm not going to say racism. It's not, it's not, like, that term, I don't want to um, play the race card, because this is unnecessary, but it's, it, it, it's just, it's not what you think, you know? When people say those words, like, you know, it's kind of, it, it, it's like, um, I'm not going to say race, because it's definitely not that. Some people could just say it because they want to be ignorant. Right. Yeah, I've, I've had that also, where people just want to say something to purposely try to make you feel bad. And some people just saying it because they just don't know what else to say, you know? And, um, but I, I tell people all the time, like, you should embrace this thug. <laughs> because, like, the things I've done in the community, you know, I've done more than any non-thug <laughs> would do, you know? Uh, raffle my ring off, you know, because I see the struggles that people have, you know, and 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 I, I don't I don't feel comfortable when people go through those things. Yeah, I should only be worried about my family, and not worry about other people. But yeah, hey, it's not I'm not built like that, you know. I, I'm built to care and I'm built to protect myself, you know. And um and it was hard getting out that mentality, and sometimes I still have that mentality, but you know it's a little different. It's more focused on giving back and it's more focused on like finding education solutions and, and wellness solutions for people you know so it's more focused now meta world peace my guest no i understand that and i know also when you were coming up you actually you love math math was your thing math was your thing so you were always about even if you didn't know it at the time you were about learning and educating yourself man one more thing another topic i talked to kobe a couple of weeks back and kobe was talking about his career and how much he loved the team the 2010 laker team how much he loved the guys the way he put it was i loved everybody one through 15 on that time on that team it was one of the best times of my life of course you won your championship that year and you knocked down that seven or i should say you knocked down that three ball in game seven it was an amazing moment take me back to that night what do you remember about that game and what do you remember about making that shot you know, it was a great moment. Like, I, I mean, that moment for me was something that I don't know if I deserved it with how I played the game and things I've done in the past. And um, But it was a moment that I could hold on to because not everybody has those type of moments in the league, especially with the Boston versus Lakers. And somehow I was in the rivalry and it was almost a mistake because I should have been I should have been in Chicago. Uh, they wanted me there for long term, and they wanted to sign me and match me out, but I kept getting in trouble. Did the same thing in Indiana, you know. And then Sacramento was like a short stay, and then Houston, you know, whatever. By that time, I was just moving around. So, you know, to have that moment and one of the biggest moments, you know, it, it was a big moment. They don't publicize it like that, but that was a huge shot, especially in LA. They do. You know, and that was that was a huge moment, and um, you know, and thanks to Kobe, you know, for sharing that moment with me. You know, I'm very grateful. By the way, that was a huge moment. That was a huge shot that you made. It was a huge moment in this town, and even for a great, great franchise like the Lakers, that was a huge moment within that franchise. And then, not long after that game, you had that famous on-court interview where you thanked your psychiatrist, who actually was your psychologist. But either way, you made a point. That was one of the first people you thanked. Why was that the person you were thinking about, and why was that so important to acknowledge that right after one of the biggest games of your career? Yeah, I wanted to give a lot of credit and respect and acknowledge the lady who flew in from Houston, 
the morning of the game because I had anxiety. And it's not because I wasn't tough. I always took a lot of big shots, and I always ask myself, I know I'm one of the most fearless people in the, in the league. You got Shaq, you got Kobe, and when I was in the league, I'm like, there's not many more people with more heart than me. I knew that, but Kobe makes all the big shots. And that was getting I – was, I, was, I was becoming frustrated with, like, not being able to match that. And not Because if I ever had to go over the, against Kobe, nine times out of ten, you know he's going to hit the big shot. And the only way to beat Kobe, you got to be able to match that skill. Well, for me in my career, I, I didn't have that, and it's something I always wanted. You know, um, that game, I was on Kobe's team. And I knew I, I was going to have to do something spectacular, but I didn't have enough confidence in myself that I'll be able to get it done. So I called my my, my psychologist, and she flew in from Houston, and I, and I wanted to work some things out. You know, um, getting on the court, maybe Paul Pierce says something, takes me out of my game. Garnett, you know, he, he started rah rowing, takes me out of my game. Kendrick Perkins, you know, so all that type of stuff, like, it, 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 it can distract me. Because I'm more, I just be ready to fight rather than play the game. And I didn't want that to happen in that game. You know, so in that game, I was able to do some things that I felt like I couldn't have done on my own. You know, and and, and I think it all goes back to the childhood. You know, like how you are, how your race, you know, uh, is going to be who you become. Um, and then hopefully it's not a bad person or not, you know, a disruptive person. And if it is, you know, can you fix it? Can, can you identify like what's wrong with you, or if you even have a problem. Matter that is so good, man. I, I really admire that. I really respect that. So you obviously have done a lot of work. You've done the hard work. Now you mentioned Kobe. That nine times out of ten, he was going to rip your heart out. I mean, no matter who you, yeah. no matter who you were, he was going to get his. And then you end up on the same team with him. Uh, I got to wonder, you guys, guys like Kobe, guys like Michael, guys like LeBron, guys like that, literally are geniuses, and they're so demanding of themselves and everybody yeah. around them. What was it like to play with Kobe? Do you have a favorite Kobe story involving either you or somebody else? When you think of Kobe, what do you think of first? Well, with Kobe, I'll just call it self-explanatory. When you see Kobe the first time, you get it that he wants it. Come to work. Don't play around. Don't BS. And there's nothing else to be said. I didn't really need to look at anything else. I just know Kobe was a workaholic and bring it. Every day, bring it. And for me, I didn't need, I, I, it was, I didn't need him to explain that. You made the point that the whole Lakers-Celtic thing and the fact that you were even in position to make that shot was amazing because it really was never meant to be. Like, you could have ended up with the Bulls. There were some other things. And it kind of centers around the brawl at the palace, the malice at the palace. And you don't want to be remembered for only one thing. I understand this. But you're really open about talking about this. That night in 2004, you were in a point in your life, man, you were playing really good basketball. And you were doing the hard work. And you were coming a long way. And then in that game, you kind of were just chilling out on the scorer's table, minding your own business. And then that drink comes flying out of the stands. And then all hell breaks loose. I mean, exactly what did happen in that moment? Well, you know, the guy, um, John Green, was a uh, bet with the gentleman who raised his hand. You'll see, when I go up in the stand, you'll see a guy cheering. And he bet John Green that he could hit me, that John couldn't hit me for $50 with a cup of beer. So then John threw it, and then when I got hit, I, I got up like, oh, what is this? And then when I saw the guy raise his hand, I'm like, oh, wow, that's a kid that hit me. He didn't hit me, but he was he made the best. So everybody thought I attacked the one person, yeah. That's true, but now what people don't understand, like that's the guy who made the bet. So you know, um, I don't know his name. 
But he even, when I was in the courtroom, it was really funny because when I was in the courtroom and I saw the guy's face, he made eye contact with me. But people was like, don't say nothing to the other people, to the other side. But he had this real, like, genuine look, like a, a, a really, like, a, like a, a, a sorry type of look. And I, and I told people, I'm like, yo, the guy who hit, the guy who I hit, I said, I feel really bad for him because he seemed like a really nice guy. I didn't say nothing to him. But then five years later, John Green tells me the story. So, that, you know, that, that guy, when I seen him in a courtroom, he, he had like a smirk, not like a smirk. You, pr- you, you print type of thing. It was like a smirk, like, wow, we got ourselves in some trouble. I hope everything is all right. It was like a genuine, like, smile. You know what I'm saying? And I remember that from, from, to this day. And and I'm, maybe he wanted to say sorry, too. The first thing John Green said when, he, when I spoke to him was sorry. You know? So, you know, um, <laughs> the, the guy, you know, everybody else can't really see that I didn't really do anything wrong but try to kick somebody's ass who hit me, you know, <laughs> I think, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I guess like in the media, it was like, you know, it was a transition time, you know, and a lot of big money's involved and a lot of big brands and that has never been seen. <laughs> a big guy running the stands, whooping people's ass, you know, but it wasn't, I don't just go in the stands whooping people's ass, you know, let me add, what you're, what you're also saying is, like, the guy who bet the guy was kind of connecting with me in the courtroom and saying he was sorry. I know you're connected to the other guy, right? I mean, you're actually kind of friendly with the other guy, John Green, right? Yeah, me and John, we cool. I don't know the other guy. I don't know his name, nothing. But, yeah, John, you know, John is cool. He got a really crazy personality, you know, um... He was actually going through some things at that time. He was going to some alcohol anonymous classes at that time. And he was married. And actually, he, he just got divorced a couple of years ago, which is kind of sad. So, you know, John John had his own little um, issues when we were talking. He would tell me, you know, what's going on with him. And, uh, you know, I always make sure, you know, you're going to be a writer type shit. You know, so, um, you know, it, it, was a, it was a crazy day. Man. God, dude, Matter that is crazy shit, right? I mean, the, the guy, and look what happened here, right? It cost you most of a season. It cost you millions cost of dollars me, in salary. Think, let me tell you what it cost. Man. Yeah, what it cost you? Know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what it cost you? So we, we're going to start with the $50 bet. That's, that's where it started at. <laughs> right. $50 bet that somebody could hit me. It cost me. I had a Carl Jr. commercial. I had, one, I had ESPN commercial. Everything, all the All-Stars games that you see, all the, I had all that, right? So we had that. Then... No more, no, no other teams wanted to touch me, but a few, you know. And thank, thank goodness for um, Dr. Buss. I mean, no teams wanted to touch me. So then, I, I, we're not even talking about um, a max contract. You're talking about can you even get on a team, okay? And then all the other, you know, um, you know, I had my own shoe at that time. When I was when I was 19 years old, I. I first thing I did was I wanted to start my own shoe company. I always had an entrepreneur in mind. That's why I was never with a brand. So I did a deal with Ellie Gay, you know, um, at that time. And it was tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars that was potentially had been made. But I don't like the I'm, – I, I don't really care about money like that. Like, money doesn't make me, so I'm not as affected by it, you know. I, I, I like education and innovation, so, you know. But, you know, it, it, it costs a lot financially, you know. And it wasn't – I'd say it was like 20% my fault for running into the stairs. And, you know, the other 80% was the, was the guy who thought up this brilliant idea to hit me with a couple of, with a couple of beer. 
Meta, Metis is amazing. So you know what this is, Meta? It's it's a fifty dollar bet that cost you maybe several, if not tens of millions of dollars. And then at the end of the day, the you were Just Meta. This is really important. You had to cancel <laughs> counsel the other dude that everything was going to be all right because he was going through shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John was going through a lot. John was going through a lot. He was going through a lot. <laughs> I actually feel sorry for him. You know, he just got the balls. He's going to AA. Like, you know, people go through things, man. You know, you want to know something? Yeah, I get married. I, I was very upset about this situation. Maybe it seemed like people was, you know, handling the business rather than, you know, thinking logically, like, you know, somebody hit him, hit him back. Boom. No, I'm not suspending him. I don't care what brands back out. But no, obviously, he's a big business, you know? You know, and but I understand, man. People go through things, and that's life, man. Life is bigger than like cash. Met, you know, man, let me ask you. Day, yeah. Let me. I was gonna ask you something because you said, "Hey, look, man. This was twenty percent me and eighty percent the guy who came up with that stupid idea." You know, I would imagine that David Stern and believe me, I've had my own issues with David Stern. I would imagine he probably <laughs> said, "Hey, Meta, look, you can't go into the stands no matter what for any reason." Let me ask you this: It seems to me, and and who am I growing up in upper middle class suburban? you know, California, but it seems to me there are like certain universal reasons why you go, right? Somebody in social race or religion, you go. Somebody threatens you or somebody close to you, you go. Somebody spits in your face, you go. Somebody throws a drink in your face, you go. If you were playing today and knowing what you know now and that happened again, would you go back into the stands? If somebody was to ever hit me, I, I would never let no one hit me. Now, I would probably like react slower and, and 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 get the situation under control, but I would never be happy with someone hitting me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think anybody should be happy with someone hitting. Them. Look at all the bullies that bully people, and you see these kids. They 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 don't want to do nothing back, and they harm themselves. They harm themselves because they're being bullied, rather than harm the bully. You see this all the time. Kids commit suicide because they're getting bullied. Well, why not just smack the kid who's bullying you? You see what I'm saying? This happens all the time, and this is unacceptable. I, I, I don't think anybody should be allowed to be bullied. And, and, and if you are being bullied, don't be bullied, man. Don't let nobody just walk over you. It's, it's unacceptable. It should not happen. Yeah, man, let me ask you this. You, before you go, and this is great. I'm so enjoying this conversation. When something like that goes down, you know who's got your back. Now, you know, because when it all goes down and all of a sudden you may not be that guy anymore, a lot of people run for the hills. Now, I know your teammates probably had your back. I know management probably did. But was there somebody not affiliated with the Pacers who called you when that shit went down that you remember that stayed with you? Yeah, the one person I remember calling me, Michael Jordan, right? You know, Michael Jordan... He, um, I remember he just called me. I was like, you know, I hope everything's going to be all right. You know, um, and uh, I mean, Charles Oakley, too. <laughs> Charles Oakley, too. I, I, I never mentioned Charles Oakley. He definitely hit me up. But he was like, you know, everything's going to be all right. You know, and uh, I'm going to try to <laughs> see if I can get you back playing. <laughs> and when Michael called me and told me, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely coming back. I was even telling my friend to go say nothing. But Mike just hit me up. And we, we good. <laughs> but, uh. It didn't happen that way. I sat out the whole season. Uh, yeah. Really good. But yeah, Mike, Mike is a good dude. I know ever since that day, I will always go to Sports Authority on 57th Street and buy Jordans in the summertime. I'll buy a bunch of Jordans because <laughs> Jordan was so smart. Dude, that, that's so good. What a great gesture. You mentioned Oak. Hey, I would imagine, Meta, that 
people didn't want to mess with you, but there are certain guys that you know that nobody wants to mess with. Am I wrong? Oak is one of those guys. Oak will go. You do not mess with Oak. Am I right? Uh, uh, Oak, Oak will go. Oak is not taking no mess with nobody. You know, Oak grew up in the – he he came in, in the 80s, so he saw 70s, you know, early Larry Bird. and That's what he's preparing for when he got into the league, and, and Oak was an enforcer in New York City, you know, my city. <laughs> I looked up to Oak. Meta, you wrote a book. You wrote an amazing book, No Malice, My Life in Basketball. I would encourage everybody to get the book and read the book. So my final thought for you, is it a one-off, or now do you have that bug, and are you looking to write other things? Man, man, oh, man. I got So, yeah, I have the bug, and I've been wanting to do this other book for, like, I've been wanting to do another book about the, the culture of basketball for, like, four years, but I've never told anyone when I read this book, I went. I, t- I spoke to my partner Heidi. I said, "We're coming out with the next book." So the next book that I do is going to be really cool. It's going to involve sports, but I also have some fictions that I wrote. So that I wrote four years ago that I feel like I'm getting the edge to release them. I just don't know how I'm going to release it, but yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to. You're definitely going to call me after I start releasing this next book. <laughs> Oh, no, dude, listen, you, you are prolific. I had no idea. I'm not at all surprised that you have a book in you because I think you have an amazing life. But come to find out, you've got several books in you. And like I said, Meta, it took a long time for you and I to do this, but I'm glad you wrote that book. So our deal going forward, at least from, from my standpoint, anytime you write a book, you and I rap about that book. We talk about that book. If you're up for that, you know I definitely want to do that. No, it's great, man. You have, obviously, a lot of people didn't agree with you. There's times I didn't agree with you. But you always, you know, did your thing, and it's great to talk about things other than basketball, you know. Um, you know, how did you play last night? How was the game? You know, we were talking about, like, you know, after basketball, life off the court, which is great. And who better to have that conversation with than you? Man, I appreciate you. I appreciate you saying that because I've always felt that even even if you and I were not in a place back in the day where we could have that conversation, my feeling has always been we don't know you guys and there's a lot more to you guys than what we see on the floor. And I know that's the case with you. So I was really looking forward to having this conversation with you and I'm really glad we did. You should be proud of that book. I'm really proud of this conversation and I'm so glad you and I finally came together. Absolutely, absolutely. Same here. Let me talk to you about Zipa, and let me talk to you about it by spelling it for you. Z-Y-P-P-A-H. Z-Y-P-P-A-H. What that is is happy Z spelled backwards. So if you go to bed with a Zipa, you wake up with happy Zs. Did you know that one night of bad sleep can ruin your entire day? Are you traveling for Memorial Day weekend? Are you planning a summer vacation? You do not, you do not want to ruin the entire vacation with snoring all night long. You see, vacations are supposed to be a time for rest and relaxation. But nobody's resting and nobody's relaxing if there's snoring going on all night long. So get a Zipa before you take that vacation. Snoring is not sleeping. So if you or somebody you know snores, go to Zipa.com. Zipa is guaranteed to stop snoring. You've got nothing to lose. If you're not happy for any reason at all, return your Zipa for a full refund. You see, Snoring is rude. It's disrespectful. It's offensive. You do not want to ruin another holiday weekend or summer vacation with snoring. So get your Zipa today and ensure that you have a great, great summer. Get a Zipa. A huge thanks to Meta for joining me on the podcast. If you're all about the conversation, let's keep it going on Twitter. He's at Meta World Peace, and I'm at Jim Rome. 
Hit us both up with your thoughts on this episode. Also, we've got some business to tend to in the jungle. A couple of huge items coming up. Number one, my nomination for the National Radio Hall of Fame, which I am honored and humbled to be a part of. My particular category is determined by a listener vote. That vote starts on Monday, June 4th. So we're now less than two weeks away. I'm mentioning it here because I need your help in making this happen. I want you to be ready. So stay tuned for instructions on how to cast your vote because I'm going to point you in the right direction in very short order. Next, the Jungle Smack Off, July 20th. It is the 24th year of the event, but the first time it's ever going to be on television. So mark your calendars. Get the day off. You do not want to miss that. As always, I appreciate all the support over all our platforms. Let's keep this thing going. 2018 has been a strong, strong year, and I'm not looking to let up. Let's keep hitting this thing hard. See you right back here for F39 next week. Thanks for having my back, and I'll see you then. We're out.